This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome, everybody, to episode 10 of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast hosted by two guys who own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and with me, as always, is Brian Com. Hi, everybody. Glad to have you back, Brian. I want to get started, but as always, a few administrative things to mention. We've got an email address, keepingcarlson at gmail.com. We like getting your emails. Follow us on Twitter. We're actually tweeting quite a bit. And when I say we, I mean Brian. And it's intelligent, useful tweets. So a very good supplement to the weekly podcast. So definitely follow us on Twitter. And you could also tweet at us and we'll answer you back. So you could ask us questions all throughout the week. Also, we really appreciate everyone who's given us a five-star review on iTunes. And if you haven't, that's all we ask. That's all we ask from you. We're not charging for this podcast, right? We just want a five-star review. That's all I'm going to say. Okay, let's get on with the show. Brian, how was your week last week? It's going pretty good. There's one day of games left. And as you know from last week, my league is super tight in the standing. So right now I'm first in my conference and conferences. Maybe that's something we should talk about sometime on the show about whether it's good to have your pool divided so that the leader of a conference or division gets into the playoffs. I feel actually pretty strongly that that is like an unfair way to manage your pool. But yeah, that would be an interesting discussion. But okay, you're first in your conference. So I'm first in my conference. I'm third overall. Uh, So I'm four points back of second place and 11 points back of first. But I'm only four points up on eighth place. So things are really, really close. Unfortunately, I'm closer to eighth than I am to first right now, even though I'm third. So it's a big week. It's a bigger week because I am playing uh, the person who is currently in second place. Okay, and are you winning? Yeah, I'm crushing him. Uh, Spectre's Spud Heads is down 10 to 1 to me right now. Wow. And that's the second largest margin uh, of victory that exists right now. The fourth place team, unfortunately, is up 11 to 1 on their opponent this week. So they might actually keep pace with me. I need a big week to jump ahead and doing it against somebody so close to me is really important. And I've sort of been firing on all cylinders this week, even though I haven't had to. Uh, but my goalies have been fantastic. Harding is still going strong, putting up some of the best numbers in the league. Curtis McElhenney got injured partway through a game. But before that, he had an incredible start against Pittsburgh, which I don't think anyone saw coming. It was a real leap of faith to start him, but I was rewarded for it. And my offense, everybody is in on it this week, except P.A. Parento, who's really struggling lately. But Blake Wheeler, is back on track with four goals. Brandon Dubinsky has a goal and four assists with 15 shots on goal. The only category I'm losing this week is game-winning goals, which, another topic for another day, is probably my least favorite category in fantasy hockey. I think maybe it's worse to me than penalty minutes. 
um, but maybe not quite as bad as hits to me. But I'm losing four to one after maybe a couple days of the matchup. We each had 10 goals, but four of his were game winners. And mostly because his players scored like the fourth goal for their teams and the opponent was able to score three more. It wasn't like the tiebreaker to go up 3-2 or 2-1. Yeah, to me, game-winning goals sounds so arbitrary. Like, it seems like it's just luck, just who happened to score that goal in the game. It is. I I can see it's reasonable being just another way to reward a team that has a lot of goal scorers. But between goals, plus-minus, and power play goals, that's already three categories that are affected by goal scoring. So I, I think that's reward enough. Anyway, there's a couple categories that are still pretty close. He's only three goals behind. He's only one assist, one power play assist behind. But the others I've got pretty much locked down. So I think I'm looking at at least a 6-5 or 7-4 win this week, which, like I said, in a pool as close as mine is, is huge. Well, very good news. Happy to hear it. Looking forward to hear which moves you've made to help you get to this point. And we'll do that in a second. I was a little crafty, actually, and we will get to it. But how about first, you tell me how you're doing this week. Can I, can, am I okay to feel good? Or should I, do I have to feel bad about how you're doing this week? Uh, no, I'm doing okay. So last week was a disaster. I think I talked about it on the show. I lost six to one. Definitely my worst week ever because I'm first in my league. That made it all a lot closer. I'm still in first. And right now, as of this recording of our seven categories, I'm winning five, one, one. So five wins and one tie. But I'm apprehensive about whether I'm going to win by this much. I'm pretty sure I'll win the week, but a lot of my categories are pretty close. So I'm only winning by two goals, and our save percentages are pretty much the same. I'm .924, and he's .914. And I have no more goalie games left, and he has Ben Bishop playing against the Red Wings. So if Bishop has a good game, then I'll lose that one. But overall, things are okay. I'm a little bit disappointed in my team, to be honest. I feel like I have a lot of players who used to be awesome earlier in the year, and now are really just doing nothing for me. Maybe I'm a perfectionist, because obviously other players are picking up the slack to help me still win these categories, but I want everyone to be doing well. Well, that's fair. So who are the guys? Ryan O'Reilly and Paul Stastny pretty much disappeared over the past few weeks. O'Reilly had one good game this week, thankfully. He had a golden assist against Winnipeg. Also, my two Phoenix guys, Martin Hansel and Radim Verbata, have also pretty much disappeared. And those are four guys that earlier in the year seemed to be getting points every game. I was really excited whenever Phoenix or Colorado played. Now, not so much. On the other side, though, I've had a few players who have broken out of slumps, I would say. Jake Muzzin, out of nowhere, has three points for me in the week. And he had a stretch of like one assist in nine games going into the week. So that really helped me out. I think the Kings Eastern Conference road trip probably helped contribute to that, too. Yeah, for sure. Well, I'll take it. But you know what, Jake Muzzin, I think I was so down on him. But at this point, he's definitely getting good opportunities. He plays on the power play and he plays with Drew Doughty. So maybe I could even give some advice and say to anyone who has Jake Muzzin available in their leagues, I'm liking him right now. Okay. Also, Tobias Enstrom finally got an assist. So maybe it's not too much to celebrate over. But one point is better than zero points in every single matchup since I acquired him. Yeah, finally. And he's been generally a minus player too for me. So it's nice that he at least offsets it a little. He's also had nine shots on goal and seven blocked shots. So it hasn't been an unproductive week. So like I said, I should win this week. But today is going to be a little bit nerve wracking because I have four players playing. 
Scott Hartnell, Christopher Stieg, Martin St. Louis, and Jake Muzzin. So pretty much St. Louis, and then a bunch of guys I hope could maybe do something, but probably not. He, on the other hand, has Jonathan Taves, Alex Ovechkin, and Yuri Hoodler. So it's going to be pretty scary as those games are happening. And I hope Ovechkin doesn't have another four-goal performance like he did earlier in the week. Right, that would be enough to sink you, right? Definitely. Well, at least in goals and probably in special teams points, if, assuming a couple of them are on the power play. All right, so those are our weeks. Looks like we're both winning. Hopefully it'll stay that way. Brian, you mentioned you made some moves. Let's hear them. Yeah, I made a couple moves, and they were really all minor ones. My first move was something I've done like three times already this year. I dropped Cody Egan. Mm. Yeah, I always pick him up. And I think of all the time that he's spent on my roster, he's probably actually been in my lineup for 20% of it. So I really like him and I like being associated with him, I guess. But (laughs) I decided instead to go with another hot hand in Dallas, which is Valerie Nichushkin. I picked him up on the heels of his four-point game, which came against Philadelphia last week. And that actually capped a three-game point streak that saw him get two goals, five assists, and a plus-six rating uh, over the course of three games. And there was a listener who was actually thinking the same thing as me. This is at Nicholas Kalaman on Twitter, and he asked for my opinion on Valerie Nichushkin. Where did his recent performance come from, speaking of that four-point game? And is he worth the pickup, or was he just lucky? So... I decided that he was worth the pickup. And the reason he's good is because of his line mates. He's going to go as far as Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan take him as allowed by Lindy Ruff. So as long as he gets time up there on the first line, I think he's a really valuable player. And sure enough, he is still seeing the majority of his ice time with those two players. He didn't do much this week, but he was able to get one goal in the most recent scoring fest against Winnipeg, which is really fun to watch. And that goal was incredible and made me feel very happy about being his owner. He sort of went in, he swatted Jacob Truba's stick away with one hand and kept like starting his deke with the other. Of course, it was against Andrzej Pavlic, but I'll take it. So that was my first pickup of the week. Another player who has been added and dropped frequently from my roster is Roman Yosi. And I picked him up again to do service for one game. I had an empty defense slot when I moved Kimo Timonen to an IR plus. And I was really focusing on shot blocks this week. And he was the best available defenseman playing that night who had any sort of shot block history. And sure enough, he did that for me. He picked up five shot blocks in the game, including an assist and a plus two, which was sort of the cherry on top. And maybe I should have kept him because now he's on a four game point streak. He has points in five of his last six, and he scored a power play goal in his last game on three shots on goal. Yeah, I'd love to have him on my team. I mean, he's playing huge minutes, averaging, I think, over 25 minutes a game. According to Left Wing Lock, he's playing with Shea Weber. He's on the power play. Yeah, I'm surprised that you didn't hold on to him. And yeah, since you dropped him, he's got three points, a couple power play points. Yeah, I just don't have room for him anymore. Remember, I dropped him when I was able to pick up Tobias Enstrom on the waiver wire. Yes. And hopefully Enstrom will match those numbers. It's not looking good for him lately, but we both hope on the Acquiring Enstrom podcast. Any other moves? Yeah, one more and a similar move, which is much more boring, I think. I picked up Josh Georges. Okay. Which is not something I'm really inclined to do. But again, I had a defensive slot open. Curtis McElhenney went day to day. And so I decided that I would keep pushing this shot blocks thing. So he had three shot blocks on Saturday night 
And guess how many shot blocks I'm winning the category by right now? One. Three. Oh, handy. Yeah, so I need him to pick up a few more today. And hopefully all this shot block obsession won't have been for naught. And I will take that category. But he will be dropped as soon as I take McElhenney out of the IR plus spot and put him back on my active roster. Of course. So yeah, I was a a little crafty this week. I didn't really drop anybody. I just sort of shifted players around. Uh, What about you? Did you you do anything that you're particularly proud or upset about? Well, I guess similar to you, I didn't make any huge moves. I mentioned last week how I had picked up DeHarnay when Henrik Zetterberg went on the IR. So I decided to drop him and I picked up Chris Versteeg, mainly just because he had a four-game week coming up and I wanted to maximize that roster spot. And Versteeg, you know, it's tough to say whether I'm happy with him or not. So I've had him for three games so far. He's playing again today. Two of the games, he did nothing. But there was one game against Philadelphia where he had a goal and an assist. And that was just part of a big romp where everyone on Chicago was getting points. But Chicago's been getting lots of points in all of their games. And Versteeg generally doesn't seem to be getting many points. Next week, he only plays two games. So I'm for sure just going to be dropping him and picking someone else up who can give me lots of games and hopefully have at least one or two hot ones like Versteeg did. Then Evander Kane finally got moved into a O category in ESPN. So out. So he hasn't been put on the IR. But I guess ESPN decided to throw me a bone and let me put him in one of my IR spots so I could pick someone up to take his place. I ended up picking up Nick Foligno. Nice. Well... I mean, he has one goal in the week for me. So he scored one goal against New Jersey, and now the last two games, he's done nothing. He had four shots against St. Louis. I just think it's nice that you listen to me. Right, yeah. We did mention on the podcast that Nick Foligno might be a smart pickup. But, you know, this is all just temporary. Once Evander Kane and Henrik Zetterberg come back, I'll be much happier with my lineup, and I won't have to be even thinking about players of this caliber. Ouch. That's a a burn for Nick Foligno fans. (laughs) Oh, I thought you were going to say for Nick Foligno. I don't know how many Nick Foligno fans there are out there outside of Columbus. Maybe his former neighbors in Ottawa. That seems like something that would be the case. Perhaps, perhaps. So those are our weeks and all the moves we made. Let's move on to talking about some other players in the league of note. I wanted to ask you about Patrick Kane. Kane has 16 points in his last eight games. I'm obviously not asking you, oh, is now a time to sell high? Because I don't think it is. Patrick Kane is clearly a superstar in the league. My question is, has he cracked the top five fantasy hockey players? So going into the year, and I'd say last year as well, it seemed pretty obvious that the top offensive players in fantasy hockey are Sidney Crosby, Alex Ovechkin, Evgeny Malkin, John Tavares, and Steven Stamkos. Has Patrick Kane broken to that group? And if yes, who leaves? I'm really happy you asked that question because on Twitter this week, Rob Volman, who's the author of Hockey Prospectus, which is a fantastic primer on advanced statistics in hockey, and I really recommend it for anyone listening, looking to get a real edge in their fantasy hockey pool or even just their general hockey knowledge. It's a really good way to go. Anyway, Rob Volman on Twitter at Rob Volman NHL. He tweeted out a list of the top goal scorers between the beginning of 2013 and now, which is about an 82 game span. Number one on the list was Ovechkin with 58. Number two on the list was Steven Stamkos with 43. Number three was Tavares with 41. And number four was... Patrick Kane. Patrick Kane with 40 goals. So he is the fourth leading goal scorer since the beginning of the 2013 lockout shortened season. Volman also tweeted out the leaders in points in the same time span. Number one was Sidney Crosby with 100 points. 
Only three points behind was... Patrick Kane? Yeah, with 97 points. So he is the second leading point scorer since the beginning of 2013. So second in points, fourth in goals. I think it's fair to say that he has cracked that top group of elite producing forwards. So who does he bump? Malkin? Yeah, well, Malkin missed some time in the lockout-shortened year. He missed 17 games of regular season play. And so I don't think it's quite fair to bump him from the list. And he's still way too good to be considered off the list. I don't know if Kane really does replace anybody, but he does enter into the discussion, at least in terms of elite fantasy value. When you're talking about Stamkos and Tavares and Malkin and Crosby, I think it's really hard to ignore Patrick Kane. Okay, but you're just standing on the fence here. I'm asking you, who would you rather have right now, Evgeny Malkin or Patrick Kane? What if you had to pick one? You're taking Malkin? Oh, you're going to make me pick? Well, I think I'm just going to take the easy way out and say that Patrick Kane is the keeper on my team, and I want to see him do well, so I will throw my support behind Patrick Kane. All right. So you heard it here first. Evgeny Malkin is now useless, according to Brian Com. Drop him from your teams. That's exactly what I said. Thank you for the app summary. Another question I wanted to ask you, Brian, is I noticed just yesterday Dustin Brown from Los Angeles was dropped from my league, and he is 100% owned in ESPN. You look at his stats from previous years, he's pretty much a consistent 50-60 point player. This year he only has 11 points in 33 games, so a pretty crappy pace. Is he a good pickup at this point? Is it just that he's slumping and he's about to bounce back? Or is Dustin Brown no longer the 50-point guarantee that he used to be? Well, as we've talked about before, proven scores generally don't tend to just fall off a cliff in terms of production. If anything, they're just going to fade away. Maybe they'll have an off year or an off month. But Dustin Brown's year so far does seem really uncharacteristic so far. He's only got three points in his last 10 games. And before that, he was also in a pretty big drop where he had two points in about the same amount of time. Taking a quick look at his underlying numbers and line mates, I don't really know what's going on with him. And his PDO is high. He's got a PDO. It's at almost 106 right now, which means he's the beneficiary of good goaltending and good on-ice shooting percentage. His line mates are the same as last year. He's got Jarrett Stoll centering him and Justin Williams, and he's still seeing a fair share of offensive zone starts. So really, nothing really jumps out at me about why he's playing the way he is. That said, he's still Dustin Brown, and I have faith in proven point producers. And I wouldn't let him sit there long. If you see him get on a roll of even two games, I would grab him, because who's your worst player right now? Well, aside from Versteeg and Felino, who I mentioned before, won't be on my roster long, I'd say maybe Paul Stastny at this point, who's been on a huge scoring slump. Yeah, and maybe he's another guy who's in a similar situation to Dustin Brown, except Dustin Brown probably has a more impressive history than Stasny. But over Versteeg and Foligno, I would not carry those guys on my roster if Dustin Brown was sitting in the free agent pool. Oh, okay, so that's good advice. Evander Kane should be coming back next week, and then maybe I'll drop the other one and pick up Dustin Brown and have him until Zetterberg comes back and then see what happens then. It seems like a sound strategy. Thanks for the tip, Brian. <laughs> What a useful podcast this is. Oh, come on. Do you have any players of note that you want to tell our listeners about this week? Yeah, there are a couple. I feel nostalgic for the early days of the podcast where Thomas Hurdle was a constant topic of conversation. So how about we check in with him? (laughs) Sounds good. So he has eight goals in his last 28 games played. 
which doesn't sound that impressive, but he is producing relatively consistently, and he's still seeing time in San Jose's top six and on their power play. He's 45th in the league in shots on goal with 92. He's got a six-point lead on the nearest rookie, and he's still seeing favorable zone start, which has led to strong possession numbers for him. He's not lighting the world on fire anymore, but don't let that fool you into thinking that he's not worth a spot on your fantasy team. So yeah, I traded him earlier in the year to get Tobias Anstrom. So far, I'm not hugely regretting it, but yeah, clearly he's a solid player to have, and I'm sure his current owner is is very happy with himself, considering Anstrom hasn't done anything. Well, speaking of players we've traded, I traded Brian Little back on November 4th, and he was really on top of the world. He had 13 points in 16 games, including eight goals. So about a goal every two games was his pace. I thought he was a good asset for me to sell at the time because he was scoring on more than 20% of his shots, which screamed unsustainable. But he kept me on my toes for about two weeks longer, over the course of which he scored four goals in seven games. But I can finally exhale as regression finally takes hold of his scoring totals. He went on an eight-game goal-scoring draught and has only one goal in his last 11 games, with a much more reasonable scoring rate of just over 8% in December so far. He's still far from worthless. He's put up nine assists in those 11 games played, and he still has considerable value, but his 41-goal pace at the time of my trading him is just a pipe dream now, which is a really big relief for me. Well, and Harding's been doing so well for you, so it's hard to regret that trade. Right, even if he was still putting up goals consistently, I'd still feel good about it. But I really don't like giving up anybody good. Let's move on to some questions from our loyal Keeping Carlson listeners, the best listeners in the podcast world right now. I posted on Reddit, reddit.com slash r slash fantasy hockey, a great subreddit for daily information about fantasy hockey. So I posted saying we're recording the show, ask us any questions. One question came from Anon Marmot. Latang, I'd love to know what the f*** is going on with that guy. I chose him one draft pick behind Carlson, and he's not netting me nearly the stats. My team name is Neil Before Sad, and it's a 16-man head-to-head league with goals, assists, plus-minus, penalty minutes, power play points, short-headed points, shots on goal, hits. Doesn't really matter, because you expect Latang to get you power play points and points in general. So what's going on with that guy? I feel kind of badly, because like Dustin Brown, I can't say I really know. I'm looking at his underlying numbers, and I don't see anything that really changed between last year when he was a legitimate producer and this year where he's not. One thing that I do notice that is different from Dustin Brown is his PDO is below 100. It's just under 97, which means that maybe he's experiencing some bad luck. His team's shooting percentage with him on the ice is just 5.6%, and usually that number should be, you know, around 7 or 7.5% on average. And this is Pittsburgh we're talking about. Right, so that's really unusual. They generally don't have trouble scoring, and it's just unfortunate that it happens to be going on with him on the ice. The other thing, and I don't know that this is an excuse anymore, but he did miss the start of the season because of a knee injury, and recently he's actually missed time because of an upper body injury as we're recording this podcast. So maybe those might be a couple of factors. It is really hard to explain why somebody so prolific can go so cold. He has six goals, five assists for 11 points in 24 games. And I guess what I'm saying is to answer your question, aside from his low PDO and recovering from injury, I don't know what the f*** is going on with that guy, Latang. I think you were right to pick him one draft pick behind Carlson. And I think you might have to be patient until you see the results you're expecting from him. 
but don't lose hope. And to the other listeners who don't have Latang, maybe now's the time to make a trade offer to whoever does own him. See if you can find someone who's frustrated, like Anon Marmot. That's a good idea. I feel like that's something you would be able to do in your league, Elon. I could try. The guy who has Latang is actually the same guy who I traded to get Enstrom. So we have a rapport at this point. Right, and that worked out really well for him. Yeah, you're right. I guess I'll take a look and see if I could find anything to offer him. Another good question we had on Reddit was from On Letting Go. He asked about the LA goaltending situation. A lot of people are curious about this. Who do you think is the more valuable LA goalie until Quick's return, Jones or Scrivens? I feel like last week or the week before, we were talking about how Scrivens is the best pickup right now. Since then, Scrivens is not playing at all, and Jones is on fire. What do you think? Yeah, I was surprised as anyone when Martin Jones saw consecutive starts over Ben Scrivens. I I have no idea why. Maybe Daryl Sutter is just really excited to have more than one goalie to play, which is a huge contrast from his years when he had... Only Kiprasov in Calgary and a struggling one at times at that. But keep in mind, Martin Jones hasn't exactly seen the strongest competition. He's been playing against the Islanders, the Senators, and the Maple Leafs, while Scrivens put up numbers that were just as impressive, especially when you realize that they came against St. Louis, Vancouver, and San Jose. But again, Sutter hasn't really let on about who he intends to play and why, so your guess is really as good as mine that way. But if I'm going by the numbers, Scrivens is my choice. Hmm, maybe at least wait until he's announced to be starting for a game before you pick him up. But yeah, I guess Scrivens has the better track record overall. But Martin Jones, he was actually just picked up in my league, and he grabbed the guy win against the Senators yesterday. So good start to their relationship. On Letting Go also asked about Mike Camilleri. So he hasn't been all that great lately and is pretty horrible on plus minus. Do you think I should cut ties with him or wait it out? I have my eyes on Nick Felino or Devin Sedaguchi as possible replacements. And by the way, my team name is Better Call Stall. <laughs> he also lists all of his stats, but I guess a guy like Mike Camilleri, you're expecting points out of him. So Brian, is he going to pick up the points again? Or should he drop him for someone like Felino or Setaguchi? Well, I'm expecting points, but he's on Calgary. So, so I am expecting those poor plus minus numbers. That's something that you're just going to have to get used to if you own any flame in your pool. But Camilleri has gone stone cold. He has just two points in his last 11 games played. Although unless you're desperate, I'd wait him out. Both Setaguchi and Felino are better short term options. And we've talked about them both in the podcast over the last couple weeks but Camilleri is still the most proven long-term option of the three. Yeah, to me, it's not even close. You have to hold on to Camilleri. In a 12-team league, it's tempting, because if you drop him and he still is not producing, it's likely he'll still be available a little bit later, so you can get a bit of a leg up. But do you really want to risk losing Camilleri from your roster if he gets hot and someone else beats you to him? Let's switch over to Twitter. And remember, our Twitter account is at KeepingCarlson. That's right. We got it. That handle, that is. (laughs) <laughs> at Kamikaze Waffles asked about Louis Erickson. What's the deal with him? Well, he's injured. So right now he's not doing much. Moving on. Or no, Brian, do you want to say something about Louis Erickson? <laughs> yeah, I do. JQ2 also asked on Twitter, he asked if he should drop him because of his recent injury. To JIQ2, and by the way, that's T-O-O, not the number if you want to get in touch with him. <laughs> I told him not to drop Louis Erickson. I don't think you should unless you're totally desperate and you don't have the IR space for him. Keep him on your roster. He is not fodder for the free agent pool. And to Kamikaze Waffles, who is asking for the reasons behind it, I I feel like they can be answered by, well, he's on a new team 
the Boston Bruins, and that new team has a more conservative system, and he's also not playing with Jamie Benn. Erickson was my keeper coming into this year after Kovalchuk retired, and he has only five goals in 24 games, which has let me down too. I wouldn't get too low on him. It's really unfortunate that he had that second concussion, both for him personally and for his fantasy owners, in that order. But I still hold out hope that he can come back and at least produce at a better pace than he is now, maybe a 50 or 60 point pace once he really gets settled in in Boston. One last question from Twitter, and I've seen this a lot on the Fantasy Hockey subreddit. Thoughts on Strom? That was Canuckaholic who asked that, but everyone's asking. Strom, big deal, called up by the Islanders, was killing it in the minors. Is he someone you got to add right away if he's still available? I actually drafted Strom with my last pick in this year's draft, thinking he would stick with the Isles at the time. Instead, he was sent down, but up until his recent call-up, he had led the AHL in scoring. He had 33 points in 23 games, and that's a pace that only two other players, both with the Texas Stars, Colton Sevier and Travis Morin, came close to matching. There's an excellent article on the blog Lighthouse Hockey that we'll link to in the show notes, and it compared Strom to other prominent AHL rookie scorers who scored around a point-per-game pace. And Strom is right up there with names like Derek Brassard, Nikita Kucherov, Logan Couture, Bobby Ryan, Tyler Ennis, Chris Versteeg, David Krejci, Nazem Kadri, and Patrick O'Sullivan, who is probably the only name on that list that really has not turned into an established NHLer. One thing the author, who I should mention goes by the handle North Dakota Red Eagle, so North Dakota Red Eagle pointed out that of all those guys, the only player to have a successful rookie year in the NHL in the same year that he led the AHL in scoring was Tyler Ennis, and that happened with the Sabres back in 2009-2010. So what I take away from all of that is that Strom may not break out this year, but in the long run, he's in real good company with other established players like the ones from the list I just mentioned, who all had excellent rookie seasons as a player under 21 in the AHL. If you're in a one-year league, I don't think he's going to be a huge help to you, according to the numbers of comparable players. But if you're in a deep keeper league where you get to keep more than a handful of players, he's definitely worth putting on your roster now. It's worth mentioning that in Strom's first game with the Isles on Saturday night, his entire team was handily outpossessed by the Montreal Canadiens, but he and his line mates Brock Nelson and Cal Clutterbuck were the only ones who turned out positive Corsi numbers, although they were kind of being sheltered with heavy starts in the offensive zone. Also worth noting is that Strom was second amongst all Islanders forwards in power play time on ice. That's always a good sign. Uh, yeah, I guess they're going to give him a fair shake, and they need to, right? I, I, another factor to consider is how desperate the Islanders must be right now after going on a huge losing streak. I think they're willing to try anything and everything to get the team going. Let's move on to our patented snoozers segment of the week. This is where Brian tells you about players that you may have on your roster, and you may not even realize that you need to get them off. So Brian, who are your snoozers right now? I'll start off with Mark Streit, defenseman for the Philadelphia Flyers. Not since Mark Streit's sophomore season in Montreal six years ago has he scored below a 45 or 46 point pace. The move from New York to Philly shaved about 18 points off his scoring pace so far, where he's put up just one goal and 10 assists in 31 games played. Okay, but I gotta mention, I kind of feel like you have to sort of remove Philadelphia's first 10 games from the year because no one on that team was getting any points. How's he doing recently? 
Well, actually, he's sort of kept that same pace up. Over the last 16 games, he only has five points, which doesn't really change anything. If you zoom into the last 10 games, he's got four points in that span, which would be more in line with what we're used to expecting from him. But I think the 16-game sample size might be a little more accurate. He is suffering a low shooting percentage, and the Flyers' team shooting percentage while he's on the ice is lower than it should be. But I think the problem's deeper. The number that jumps out at me about him is his power play time. Of his 11 points this year, seven have come with the man advantage, but he's seeing much less opportunity on the power play as a whole. Last year in Long Island, he was on the ice for nearly three quarters of all of the Isles' power play time. But in Philadelphia, he's seen that cut by 25% to less than half of the available power play minutes. For the first time in a while, he's not the guy, and that's Timonen. And being a player who has historically relied on a huge power play role for at least half his points every season, that's going to lead to a big decrease. Another warning sign is that he's regularly putting only one or even zero shots on goal. Oh man, so you're telling people to drop Mark straight? I don't know if I'm saying to drop him. I'm saying to at least start becoming aware of what he's doing and notice if there's anybody else in your league. Because unless he gets a real uptick in his share of power play time, I really don't see a whole lot changing. Okay, interesting. All right, give us another snoozer. Timu Solani. This is a deep snoozer, and there's really not much to say here other than this. Solani is pointless in his last 16 games played. That dates all the way back to October 29. In 11 of those games, he's put fewer than two shots on goal, even though his ice time remains roughly the same, and he's been playing with reasonably productive line mates. An age-defying start has become an age-acknowledging draught. I'd say he's worth keeping for a potential burst once he's rested after the All-Star break, but with the Olympics this year, I don't think he's going to get much of a break, and you might miss that extra jump that he'd be provided in a regular season. Although his sentimental value remains high, unfortunately, his fantasy value is low. Oh, sad. Is he going to play in the Olympics? It sure looks that way. I was looking at some projected Finnish rosters, and they included a handful of non-NHLers, like two or three. And I don't imagine that they'll take a player not named Timu Solane, who doesn't play in the NHL, over Timu Solane. Let's move on to our final segment of the episode, where, Brian, you'll give us some rapid-fire analyses of players on your mind. So let's go. 30 seconds each. Give her. Okay, let's start with Nick Benino. He's 25 years old. He was a sixth-round draft pick in 2007. That's six years ago. He was really quiet over the first hundred and some games during the first four years of his career. But this year, since the start of November, he's got 15 points in 20 games played. That's four goals, 11 assists, and eight power play assists. He's got at least one point in eight of his last 11 games, The interesting thing to me is that he's playing with Solane and Palmieri. And Solane, as we discussed, isn't doing much of anything. And Palmieri is actually also, he's on a six-game pointless streak. He has just two points in his last ten. Somehow Benino keeps producing. It's probably his power play time. And I would definitely keep an eye on him if he's available in your league. All right, Benino, keep an eye on. One last one before we close out the show. The last one, and there's an argument for having included him In the snoozer segment, Nathan Gerby, he seemed on the verge of breaking out since scoring 31 points in 64 games with Buffalo back in 2010-11. And with a new team, 
He seemed poised to deliver after seven points in his first nine games played with the Hurricanes. The only thing is that it took him the next 25 games to double that total, a period in which he has had goal-scoring droughts of seven, six, and six games. He has only three goals in his last 22 games played since November 1st, and if you follow us on Twitter, you would have seen that we tweeted earlier about how he was one of the worst percentage shooters of anyone in the league since 2010. Since then, of players who have appeared in at least 135 games and have taken at least 270 shots, that's about two a game, he sits 143rd out of 148 NHLers with just a 7.2% success rate. That puts him in the company of Craig Smith, Tyler Kennedy, and Brian Boyle, also not noted scorers. There were rumors of a Canes coaching change, and as an owner of Jordan Stahl, I can empathize with poor production from Carolina players, but until something significant happens, I'd be hesitant to let him take up a roster spot on my team. Interesting. I see he got a goal yesterday, but I assume you included that in your analysis. Yeah, he also got a goal seven games ago. And nothing in between. (laughs) Right. Okay, well, that was a lot of fun. I hope so. But that doesn't actually matter, because this podcast is not about fun. It is about data and analysis and winning your hockey pool. And hopefully we've given people an edge to do so moving forward. With that, let's cue the outro music. I want to thank everybody for listening. And again, especially those people who have given us a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps us out. Also, like we've said, follow us on Twitter. Send us an email, keepingcarlson at gmail.com. We love feedback. Check out the reddit.com slash r slash fantasy hockey. We sometimes post questions and comments there. That's going to do it. Thanks, Brian, and I'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Elon. Good luck with the rest of your matchup, and I can't wait to hear about it next week. 